0: So teaching ceramics for a ceramics person is literally a dream job. So I get to work in an environment that is designed to foster creativity, is designed to think out of the box, is not just accepting, but demanding you to fail in order to learn. And so it helps us all figure out that failure is okay. That's how we learn.
1: That's how we grow. Hi there. Welcome to this episode of the Ace Pod, a production of ACE, the Association of Clovis Educators. I think this episode is particularly compelling because we are talking to Barbie Savage, a ceramics teacher from Clovis West. And what is unremarkable about the episode is how much Barbie loves her content and loves her students and the great work that they're doing in that class. But her work is situated within a crumbling infrastructure. Trust me, you're gonna wanna stick around to hear Barbie's story about her facilities. And while her story is extreme, I think if you are teaching in Clovis Unified, odds are you and your students are most likely dealing with a physical environment that is far less than ideal. Old desks, outdated tech, janky door locks, struggling HVAC systems, the list is a mile long. All while there are these massive, multi-million dollar projects across the district to update things like pools and soccer fields. And don't get me wrong those things are great. Our kids deserve those things. Those are worthy projects. But what's more worthy than maintaining the interior physical spaces where our young people spend the vast majority of their time? And what's clear from Barbie's story and from Ace's conversations with administration, there doesn't seem to be a proactive plan to update these aged interior spaces. Instead, it seems like the plan is to operate in reaction mode. When something breaks, let us know and we will see if we can find some way to replace it. This no doubt places site administration in an impossible situation, trying to piecemeal together the various needs that arise. ACE believes that our kids, our educators and our site administrators deserve better. An actual plan especially since we know the district's penchant for hoarding money year after year. So, make sure you stick around for Barbie's story about her classroom, but also just enjoy the story of her journey to CUSD and the brilliant work she is doing with our students. Barbie, welcome to the Ace Pod.
0: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here,
1: be part of of the team. Yeah, Um, so let's just start with uh, you know, kind of your journey to becoming a teacher. Where'd you Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to college, uh, and then how'd you become a teacher?
0: Sure. So I actually was born and raised here in the valley. Um, I am a Buchanan alum, and I went to San Francisco State University. Um, I entered in as an international music business major, which was uh, a lot to take on as a freshman who moved to a completely different setting. Because I grew up kind of in the country, um, and I found my coursework to be a lot. And I remember taking a ceramics course in high school, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds fun! I'll I'll do something." kind of chill. And I took a ceramics course in college and it was a complete game changer. So within the first few weeks, I changed my major and I may have a bachelor's in fine arts emphasis in ceramics. Um, from there, I started working at uh, Lowe's uh, as a manager and I worked with Lowe's for about 10 years. My husband and I got married, and we went to buy property, and we couldn't. So we came to the Valley. My mom's a realtor here. She sold us our house, and I was working at Lowe's. And while I was working at Lowe's, um, I was a fixer. And so my job was to take over a failing section and make it back to profitable. And a big part of that was teaching and training my employees. And I would even get loaned out to other stores. And I really enjoyed that part of my job. And eventually um, when I had my son, I had to step down from management um, because of childcare and I became a store trainer and I would train all incoming new hires and even management on how to do everything. And I was like, you know, I really like this part of my job. This is like the most fun part. Everything else I'm not super excited about because retail can be challenging. And so I was interested in pursuing education. My mom was an educator in Clovis Unified. Um, and then until she switched careers, became a realtor. Um, so I spent a year uh, shadowing an elementary school teacher at Cole Elementary. And I found that I really loved the idea of teaching, but I don't know that I had the temperament for elementary. So I found out that I do have a passion for education, but I definitely have an age range. And because I have a specialty in ceramics, that placed me squarely in high school so I went and got my teaching credential, and um, I was hired on at Central Unified before I even started my final student teaching. Um, I had to do a, a very bizarre. I had to do a teacher tryout where we had to show up and teach lessons um, off the cuff to students and be observed. And there were that, two that other was part of the
1: interview process.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, because it was it was challenging mm-hmm. to get qualified people for that position. And I was up against two fully credentialed seasoned teachers and I had only had initial student teaching. And so they really liked how I taught and they hired me. And so I did my first year as an intern, which was a lot while yeah, still man. taking night classes. And, uh, my second year, uh, was even better. I was rocking and rolling. I was growing my class numbers and I coached the robotics team. Um, we started helped start the robotics team and we went all the way to nationals at, uh, we were in Texas, um, where NASA is. And then the third year I became the department chair and I was part of a lot of the leader committees. I was part of the PBIS team. Um, and I was moving and shaking. And then I was approached by an admin at Clovis West. And um, they found out, you know, who I was because I had make, you know, my goal is to make friends with the best educators in my field. And a lot of those educators in ceramics are in Clovis Unified. And so at every event and meeting that we did that was county competitions, Um, I would stop by and and talk to people and see who they were and what was going on. And word got out that I know what I'm doing. Um, And they poached me from Central. Um, So they brought me into Clovis West. And so my first year at Clovis West was um, the fall of 2020. And so we started At Clovis West, completely online, um, which was a lot to do, considering all of the way everything is managed is different administratively. Um, So didn't have access to budget, didn't have access to materials, didn't even have access to students because they were in a computer screen, and I'm teaching clay through a computer screen. But after weeks of rehydrating, like 3,000 pounds of clay and making – Kits. I found some 20 year old clay in storage and I rehydrated it, brought it back to life and started a YouTube channel to teach my students and worked with them over the camera. And we had a really good time. And a lot of those students are still with my classes. They're in my uh, ceramics two and three courses now um, because that was their favorite course uh, during online. And now this is my third year at Clovis West and um Just keep building the program, making it stronger and better. And my goal by the end of this year is to be able to offer AP 3D design, which is AP ceramics um, in the coming fall. So that's That's, kind of a lot. Yeah,
1: that's amazing. So they could take four years of maybe if you get that AP course, they could take four years of of ceramics. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: And then um, I have partners in the professional field here in town where they can start joining the local ceramics guild, which I'm a member of and we do regular shows. There's a professional studio that they can join where they can do gallery exhibitions and there's local um, professional art shows as well as craft fair shows in town and in the surrounding areas that I'm part of a member of these things. And I, I show my work, I just did my fifth gallery show. Um, And so I have a lot of these professional connections. So if students want to truly follow this as a career path, I have that option. And one of my students is in college for ceramics right now.
1: Wow, that's amazing. What sorts of things do you like to to make?
0: So I am a jack of all trades. And I make um, a wide variety of work because I specialize in custom work. Mm. So um, anything that my clients want, I make sure that I honed my skills to where I can produce whatever they want. So this past fall, um, I did a commission for a Japanese cosmetics company for um, face cream vessels. And they wanted it to have the look and feel of ceramics, even though they were going to reproduce it in glass. And so I did 13 different prototypes for them and shipped them off to San Francisco, New York and Japan. And they liked what they had and they're putting into full scale production um, I just finished a four foot tall, uh, vase with a lighting kit where you can hook it up to your phone and it will, the, the lighting will change wow. based on the, the beat of the music. I do a lot of animal sculptures, every, anything and everything you could imagine wow. that be made out of clay. That's what I do. I and mean, I specialize in commission work.
1: What about, uh, what are some cool things that your, your kids have done?
0: Oh, my kids are amazing. So, um, I have some students, um, one of my students made a artist replica of the, um, empire state building. Oh. It's about three and a half, four feet tall. Um, I have a sculptural bust of this really cool, um, ocean themed man. And it's about, it's a geopolitical piece about, pollution and humans interactions with it. Um, I had another piece that was entered in that was a life-size two scale sea turtle. Um, So there, these kids are just incredible. And so I give them the tools and abilities and then I just push their creative thinking beyond um, so currently, and I hope to stay undefeated, I'm currently undefeated at the Fresno Fair for having Best of Show. Wow. Um, and so I, we have some really fantastic work going in this fall, and I hope we get to keep our title because my kids are the best. I love them. They're amazing.
1: That's very cool. The, so the, the Empire State Building, what what sort of, yeah, how many hours would something like that for a student so,
0: Most of our introductory projects take around three weeks and I always include a fourth week of failing because we learn by making mistakes and correcting our mistakes. When it comes to the advanced work, minimum project time is about four weeks and they have to submit to me their inspiration. They have to submit, um, photographic evidence of what their inspiration is coming from in the case of the empire state building she had to pull up um architectural drawings with the scale in it and i made her replicate the scales of how she was going to construct it in paper first so she did a uh, what's called a maquette Uh so she had to do all the math for the architectural and the engineering aspects in order to get it to work and we have a limitation on how tall we can make things because of our kiln sizes so we had to then come up with an engineering strategy to make it in multiple sections and slot it together so it looked like a seamless one piece and so there's a lot of planning and we pull information from all the different areas we pull a lot from geometry and she had also already taken my glaze chemistry unit So I teach glaze chemistry, so we understand, you know, the chemical equations of how we make our colors. So as she's going, she's looking at colors and trying to understand what color would fit this type of building the best. So by the time she finished with the structural engineering, then she got to the making part. It took a long time to make. And while it was firing, I made her make um, some mini prototypes. And then she made all of her own glazes using a variety of chemicals and tweaking the balance of the chemical equation so that we get the desired result and I brought my spray rig from home and we found the right one we sprayed it and we finally fired it and it came out and it's amazing so that, it's really involved
1: yeah it's so fascinating right that you know so interdisciplinary right that,
0: it really is yeah, yeah. he's a
1: math and science and doing research and yeah that that That's amazing. I don't, I'm not sure I gave uh, ceramic ceramics enough credit for how complicated it is.
0: It's, 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 so ceramics to me is the nexus of all of the other um, disciplines. So you have to be able to write about your work because if you want to be a professional working artist, you have to have some sort of online presence or write excerpts for galleries and magazines. So your writing has to be proficient, eloquent, and professional. You're expected to speak at gallery openings. So you have to have public speaking skills. So we practice that and I make my kids create a gallery at the end of the year and they are docents and they have to give guided tours to the entire campus of their work. Um, We draw in heavily on geometry. And so I teach a lot of geometry in my class. And then for kids to understand... Not just what they're making, but the context in what they're making. We dive into history. We dive into cultural relevance of different things within historical um, points in time. Um, we do a big section on cultural masks, and we do research on those countries and why the masks are important. How is that drawing in? Um There's so much, there's so much. And so I always tell my kids, it's like fine arts meets PE because ceramics is a very physical medium. Uh You're pushing mud around and it makes you sweat. It makes you exhausted. And you have to be thinking at these higher levels in order to make work that's worth a conversation and that adequately depicts your voice and your intention as an artist. So we draw from literally every single aspect of what they, they interact with throughout their, their educational career. And wow. we just bring it all into one single medium.
1: That's amazing. Now, I, I think I can probably guess uh, the answer here. but you know, What do you love about teaching ceramics? Uh,
0: so teaching ceramics for a ceramics person is literally a dream job. So I get to work in an environment that is designed to foster creativity, is designed to think out of the box, is not just accepting, but demanding you to fail in order to learn. And so it helps us all figure out that failure is okay. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. And getting to see these kids come in with zero knowledge and over the course of the year, at the end, they're making work that, you know, I've gotten comments from other educators at university. One of the universities tried to poach me last year and I, I turned them down, um, that their work is rivaling university level work. And to be able to inspire students and coach them to get to that level and see, just to see the impact that I'm having on them whether or not they choose to follow this career path, but getting them to be able to see that they can value themselves. They can value their own opinions. They can value change and they have a meaningful voice is like, Oh, I'm getting tingles. It's like, it's a really amazing thing to experience and witness is I, I actually feel like in teaching this medium in this way that I am able to have an effective change on the next generations, And that was something that was always missing in my previous careers.
1: That's amazing. So, um, you know, I really like how, you know, how articulate you are about talking about your discipline, your love of kind of um, engaging your students in this discipline. Um, and I also, you know, I wanna, you know, earlier you talked about, so you're a product of Close Unified.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Buchanan right Um, and this is a a second career so um, how long did you work outside of education
0: so (laughs) my work history is all over the place so I actually grew up uh, building cabins up in Shaver in construction Mm -hmm. and so and then I moved into the architectural design of that and I would draw the floor plans for it and work with the engineers Then I moved to San Francisco to attend college and, um, I started managing a small mom and pop hardware store called Pappenhausen Mm. when I was like 18, um, I was the youngest manager in the history. They've been open since like, I think it was 1912. And then, um, I needed to take some time away from work, uh, to work on my grades And I found that, you know, you can get Cal Grants for having really great grades. And I had to put myself through college. It was, it's expensive. And I was paying rent in San Francisco. So um, I focused on my grades so I could, you know, afford rent for certain grants. And I got sick and tired of not working. So then I started working at the capital planning department at San Francisco State University as an architectural draftsman. And I was designing their buildings and they bought an old army fort. And so I had to convert 1920s floor plans into modern AutoCAD, and I revamped all of their architectural designs for the lead architect and the uh, the dean of the entire school and work with their engineers. I eventually moved to San Jose because I fell in love, and my future husband lives in San Jose. So I moved to San Jose. Um and I couldn't keep working there. There was a stint where I also was a swim instructor for a while because I was in water sports at Buchanan a lot. So I was a swim instructor for about a year on top of all these other things. And then I knew I needed a job real quick in San Jose. So I applied for a uh, casino banking job. So I was paid to work at a casino at the table where it was, it was a California card club. And so it was my job to count all of the money on the table, on the fly as the hands were coming out. And they'd sit me down with 50, $60,000 in the chips. And I was in charge of managing all the transactions, watching the action, catching cheaters. Um, and so that was a very interesting job. And then I landed Lowe's management because they didn't want to work uh, the, the crazy nights anymore. And I worked for Lowe's for about 10 years and then I switched
1: yeah you have all this experience all this work experience you landed in teaching which sounds like that's exactly where you you should be Uh, you worked Mm in Central for three years you get Mm -hmm. recruited to come to Clovis Unified you have these kind of deep Clovis Unified roots you graduated from uh, Clovis Unified And did you say your mom was an educator? Yeah,
0: I'm a, I'm a legacy teacher. So my mom was an elementary school teacher at Cole Mm. and, um, she was phenomenal. They built a a classroom on the other side of her classroom because she was one of the leaders in her field. And so they would bring in other teachers to this like little mini room to watch her teach through a one way mirror,
1: Yes, um,
0: yeah, and so she was a pilot program teacher who was the one who set examples. They would Everybody would come in and watch her teach to understand how to teach. Right. So I got off to a really good start, and I'm in a family of teachers. My brother is a teacher. My aunt and uncle were teachers. Um, my brother's girlfriend is a teacher, so all of our family gatherings right. are all – Educators, except for my poor husband.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Your poor, your poor husband's left out of the conversation when everybody gets. He's like, "Can we
0: talk about something besides (laughs) teaching, please?" I'm like, "Sorry, you're in a house full of teachers." You
1: you knew what you're married And My
0: son, huh?
1: He knew what he was married into.
0: Yes, he did. And my son goes to Clovis Unified too. He's in elementary school in Clovis Unified.
1: All right. Very cool. So yeah, this all, this uh, wealth of experience in, in Clovis Unified now, um, and you you come from from Central. You worked in a different district for mm-hmm. years, so you have and this kind of experience outside of education. So you have this nice perspective. What do you what do you think uh, needs to change in Clovis Unified?
0: So the biggest thing that I noticed when I came to Clovis Unified was. Um, how little what the teachers had going on was actually being heard and responded to. So I came from Central, which has a very strong union. And, you know, the, the way I was raised and being in Clovis and coming from Clovis Educators, I was raised to be very anti-union. And so when I was at Central, I wasn't super on the ba- the union bandwagon and I was kind of excited to come to Clovis because it wasn't a unionized school. And I was like, okay, maybe this is exactly what I've been looking for. And once I got here, I realized just the massive difference between having a union that works for teachers and helps us out and advocates for us versus not having a voice with any teeth. And so seeing the the work environment that I entered into in CUSD was probably the worst two years that any educator could have ever got into teaching um, and I had transferred so you, just
1: mean, you mean the pandemic right transferring the
0: pandemic yeah, yeah I'm talking about so we started my first year at CUSD was all online and there were such a, an insane host of problems and issues that I continue to bring up to my administrator, my direct supervisor, as well as my administrative team. Um, and I talked to some of my colleagues. They had the similar concerns and similar issues. Um, one of the biggest ones is I was going to be required to teach students face-to-face in December because they put me into a program that I didn't have any training for um, or experience in or even the opportunity to get uh, training or professional development Um, with some students with special needs so I was already a little overwhelmed um, just because it was a very intense large group with limited resources and being required to be in a room with a group that I had limited um, tools to be the best teacher I could be and face-to-face during the worst part of the pandemic where vaccines weren't even out, they weren't even available. And one of my students was hospitalized and almost died um, because of COVID. And over two thirds of my class for two weeks was gone with COVID because they kept coming in face to face in my room. And these are one of the the highest needs groups. And so when I brought it to the attention of my administrative team, that the way that we were going about serving this community was not in their best interest and it was not in my best interest and it was putting us in danger. Um, those complaints fell on deaf ears. And then they decided to bring us back in February with more students face to face with mask exceptions. And at the time, my, um, mother-in-law had recently been diagnosed with cancer and we were going up, uh, li- literally every weekend to help take care of her. And I couldn't go see my family to help because I was now being exposed. Um, and because of the the subject that I teach, there weren't any accommodations made because I wasn't the one facing the illness. It was a family loved one, um, And with talking with colleagues, there were many, many stories very similar to mine. And when these concerns were brought up to the various admin at different sites, a lot of those sites brought it up to the district level. And at the district level, we were ignored and unheard. And that really hurt to know that um, I threw my life in there and they didn't care. And you know, do it every day. Um, so that was that was the first thing that made me go, "Wow." Um, one of the other things that made me go, "Wow," was my paycheck. <laughs> it was significantly lower. Yeah. Um, transferring schools, um, the way that we handle um, our IEPs on our personal time was a shock to me. I was really concerned that you know. I got to be there for my family too. I can't be here till five doing IEPs every day. I, I have, you know, obligations. Um, is there a reason we can't conduct some of these things during contracted hours? Or if I'm going to be doing it during contracted hours, is there going to be some sort of compensation because, you know, I'm missing my son growing up because I'm attending so many of these. Right. Um, so it just became very, very clear that there were so many areas that were just my small microcosm of difference of experience, where when we had concerns and we brought it up together as a staff at our site and as the Zappa team in the district, and we voiced these very serious concerns, um, a lot of what we were met with was, well, the parents don't want that, so whatever. I get that, but not every parent is on board with that. Just our loudest, most vocal parents. Can we please do something to serve our community better and ensure the health and safety of our teachers? Make sure we retain these amazingly qualified educators because we're having a lot of people leave the profession because you just can't live on some of these wages anymore. Um, So there's a lot going on with... And there are some that are more nuanced and some that are more very pronounced with how educators only have a voice if we really add the pressure. And if they give us something from the district, I've seen already in the three years I've been here that they'll give us something and then the next year they'll immediately take it away because the pressure is not there anymore. And so without some sort of, Contract to be able to protect us and protect our students. Um, you know, that's one of the major differences I've seen between the two sites. I will say that CUSD holds their students to a higher standard, and I definitely appreciate that. And that's something I would not want to lose. Um, CUSD holds our staff to a very high standard, and we as colleagues hold each other to a very high professional standard. And everybody who falls in different spectrums of how they feel about um, teachers' voices and advocacy, all of us genuinely are here for the right reasons. And we really care about our students. We care about serving our community. And we're really passionate about the profession we've chosen. So those are not things that I want to lose. And for me personally, working with Um, with ACE, I feel like those are things that we're gonna get to preserve.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think every member of ACE, every supporter of ACE would agree with with everything you said. And and I think, um, you know, I I worked in, you know, a couple districts outside of of Clovis Unified. And um, like you, I was in Fresno Unified for several years and didn't necessarily uh, think too much about the union. But you definitely notice when it's not there. Um, it's
0: it's a shocking
1: I difference. It, I think like the notion of, you know, you could have something one year and then someone decides that you don't need it the next year. And I think that, you know, the a union contract guarantees that things just can't be taken away from you just because it's the whim of, of you know, yeah. ULD or the district has new priorities. And we're doing something. Well, different.
0: and, and that's really kind of the, the major point is I'm very, very lucky this year. I have a phenomenal direct supervisor. My VP and my principal have been very supportive of all staff. They've been gung ho. They've been helpful. They've reached out. Um, I, I'm, I'm just blown away with how amazing this team is and what they're willing to fight for us. Um, but there are some things that they fight for that nobody listens to above their heads. And if they're going to be this amazing, who's going to say that we're going to get to keep them for much longer? They'll probably get promoted. And, you know, there's no way of preserving the, the positivity and the gains that we make under good leadership should we, unfortunately, uh, have to have poor leadership or leadership that you know, maybe they're placed in the wrong position and they're right for a different position. Right, right. So that's, that's definitely something where, you know, we need to protect not just ourselves, but also our students and, and, you know, everybody, uh, to make sure that we all are still functioning and operating at a high level. And it's hard to do that when you don't have consistent voice, um, year after year and, uh, standards that really Look out for the well-being of educators um, because we're losing them. And I, I know personally three educators who do not work in our district, and they have actually won some really amazing educator awards at their sites. And I asked them about coming to COSD. I was like, "You're the kind of teachers we're looking for. You're what we want." And they said, "I will never work at COSD." Because they don't have a union, because they don't feel protected, because they don't feel like I can actually teach to my fullest extent, because I would always be afraid. And so the fact that we don't have these protections for teachers is actually keeping us from recruiting other really good teachers.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, we're in a teacher shortage.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we definitely are. And I mean, that's what like the psychs are bargaining for right now and one of their big planks is that hey we need you know salary is nice it's nice to get paid more but it's also a part of offering a package to folks to come to the district and to keep Mm -hmm. people here if you we hire the best we talk about that all the time if we we want to retain the best and we want to attract the best then we need a compensation package that
0: Kind of- no, and, and I've already had conversations with a few educators in COSD that are phenomenal. And they're, they love their students. They love their job. Yeah. It's, it's the fact that there is no consistency. There is no backbone that will protect them long-term. And they are considering either leaving teaching altogether or finding another district that will actually protect their teachers, and you know support them.
1: Um, okay. Yes. Yeah. So support. I know you have a good story about furniture. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yes. I,
1: I mean, uh, I wanna, I wanna, like, I wanna, I want you to give the you know short version. Um, oh, geez. Okay. And I think furniture and facilities is a is a you know kind of universal issue across. Uh, mm-hmm. the district, and I think yours is, is really compelling, and then I think um, the fact that you kind of you know, took charge of it, you know, you mm-hmm. should have had to, but I think you took charge of it, and I, I just think that's a that'll be a nice story to, to end our conversation on.
0: Sure. So, uh, I came from Central, where I was working out of a massive facility with 17 pottery wheels, 11 kilns, a glaze room, a spray room, a storage room, a private, I had pretty much anything and everything you wanted. Um, when I came to CUSD, I had a much smaller room, which honestly was better for me because it's a lot less I have to maintain and manage. The downside was, is the teacher prior to me was suffering some health issues the last few years of her teaching career and made it very difficult for her to be able to manage the facilities. Um, so when I got to the room, I spent my first three weeks just cleaning the room, and I mean cleaning, cleaning, Um, uh, finding things, organizing things. I spent probably three or $400 just on organizing materials and tools, and then we started teaching, and when I found out that we were going to be bringing in students in person, we had to have six feet of social distancing. Well, my tables, I had six tables, and they were five feet by five feet, which meant I could only have six students in my room. Well, that wasn't going to work, so I had to get these tables out and borrow desks from the math department. So, um, no one was available to help me move these two hundred pound um, tables. So, I grabbed my drill gun and I uninstalled the tops. Got a dolly, manhandled the tops out, and I started to move the lockers that these were on. And the tops were really in bad condition and there's holes and chunks taken out of them. They're falling apart and then I go to get the lockers out and when I tip the lockers on their sides to wheel them out underneath all of them there's nests of black widows everywhere. So it's covered in black widows. Um, I had found
1: That's remarkable.
0: Yeah, I had found two dead rats in the room um, that fall when I was trying to purge and clean the room um just under and around things. Um, I eventually got my desk in and I, I just kept with the cleaning, kept with trying to repair work. Um, I repaired and updated seven of my pottery wheels because they were all completely broken. Um, and I had to order parts and do all the repair work myself. Um, and then we started getting students in um and I could start to use my pottery wheels. So we finally started using the pottery wheels, and that's when I found out my floor drainage and my floor is sloped away from my drain, and it slopes towards my desk. So if I have to hose out my classroom in order to mitigate the dust, and the dust can cause the lung disease silicosis, which is deadly and incurable, um, so you must hose out a ceramic studio, um, it flows away from the floor drain and towards my desk. So I would have to squeegee it. It would take me an hour and a half every day to clean my room. And I just couldn't keep up with it. And the floor drains were the size of a shower drain. And then I found out that it's attached to a septic tank in the back. And the septic has never been emptied, at least in the past decade. Um, So then last fall, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I created a trash can plumbing system to try to like save the drains in some way. Um, and last fall, the students are working at their tables and a ceiling tile fell out of the ceiling and a rat's nest fell out.
1: Oh my God.
0: Um, so then over winter break, I had my amazing maintenance staff take all my ceiling tiles out and clean out all of the debris that was in the ceiling. Um, I found out that the exterior of my building had to light pictures exterior lights but there were no lights there it was just exposed wire and a big gaping hole and that's how the racks were getting in so I brought that to everybody's attention we went ahead and fixed that and as the students started navigating the room we started getting electrical shocks because there are plugs and things prongs broken off in the wall sockets, and so you get an electrical shock like anytime I tried to use my projector the panel would would shock me And so we had to bring an electrician in to fix the electrical work, um, replace a lot of things. I got my projector moved away from the pottery wheel wall because for some reason it was attached to the same wall as all the slinging mud and I got it moved over to the electronics wall, but they didn't actually install it properly. They just put some plywood that was really old and damaged up and they screwed it into some plywood. Um, So I'm working and the print shop, For the district is behind me. So all those amazing t-shirts that we get comes out of the print shop that's in the wall behind me. Well, they have to hose out their facilities occasionally too. And when they do, my room floods from under the wall. So now I, and that comes out under my desk. (laughs) So now I have water coming at my electronics and my laptop and my document camera from all these different directions. So while I'm trying to manage all of this, my um, heat goes out. And so I come in every Monday and it's 47 degrees in my room. And I, I had to bring an electric tea kettle to work to heat up water for the students to actually be able to work in their materials because the materials were frozen. Um, I finally, because I would call the maintenance staff to come help me turn on my heat. And they're, of course, busy. And so it takes them 30 to 45 minutes to make it to my room. Well, we're, we've been freezing, so I finally asked them how do you turn it on. And so now every day I was coming into work and I, you know, put in requests for all of these. All of these were documented that these are work order requests. So every day I would have to climb onto my own roof to throw a switch to turn on and off the heat in my wait, wait, building. You were
1: climbing onto the roof,
0: I had to. Otherwise, it was going to be. Um, it reached like thirty something in oh, our on room the
1: outside of the building.
0: I have a fire and uh, escape in the inside my room and so you climb the ladder and you climb on the roof Oh my gosh. and so while I was up there that's when I noticed the leaves that were everywhere on my roof and it was raining while I'm trying to turn on the heat and there's a lake on my roof and so my roof is leaking my ceiling tiles are rotting I don't have insulation in my ceiling anymore because it all rotted out And we had black mold. So that got uh, thrown out, but not replaced. Um, And so it's just, it's, it's been a a challenge. So last year with all of my, you know, issues, I just needed tables that weren't going to hurt my students. And I needed some new pottery wheels because I had called the manufacturer and the pottery wheels were made. One of them was made in 1968 and the other one was made in 1973. And they just were not going to be repairable anymore.
1: Um,
0: And I couldn't teach because I didn't have enough equipment to teach on because it was all dying. So there was no more money in the budget. And there wasn't money to be in within the budget for me to get any new tables or wheels. So I made a plea to my parents to help me fundraise enough money to at least get one pottery wheel. And the community rallied and we were able to fundraise $5,000 and I bought two new pottery wheels and I was able to buy, um, half of the new tables. So I didn't have to keep using the black widow infested lockers because I had to give the, the mini desks back to the math department, um, last year. Um, and so I got, you know, partway there. Um, and my stools started falling apart, so we couldn't even screw the stools back together anymore because they were so damaged, so we would have to put the screws back in to keep the stools from from falling apart. If a student stood up, the legs would fall out, so we would put the screws in and have to duct tape the screws in. This was all documented and all sent. As we need infrastructure, we need facilities. I just need someone for the kids to sit. And um, then I had to fundraise again for more stools, and so I was able to get... Um, and then I still didn't have enough because they were still just demolished. Um, and so I put a plea as anybody has stools and the activities director gave me some used stools from her facility. Um, so we were working and we're going and it, we finally make it to the end of the year last year and it's May, the end of May and my AC goes out and it doesn't matter if I throw the switch or not on the, on the roof. I'm just not getting AC back. And so um, we were doing a special raccoon firing, which is a Japanese style firing outside. But the only way to do that is if the kids have somewhere cool to go to once they're done working with this process, which is really hot because we're using fire in a very safe and controlled way with the proper PPE. And it was 86 in my room and they brought me a fan and I used um, spray bottles to kind of make a swamp cooler effect and it just wasn't enough. So eventually I had to cancel the last two weeks of my curriculum last year and we held my class in the corner of a gym during PE and the only thing I could do was teach them how to draw using a clipboard and a Sharpie and dodge volleyballs flying at our heads. So that work order was put in. Um, so was the remaining electrical. So was the plumbing, the roof, everything. And when I returned this fall, not only did I still not have AC, nothing had been accomplished or completed, even though I had already been raising money just to have somewhere for my students to sit. And then some of the trees in our area, haven't been maintained and so a tree fell in my yard and so i couldn't even get to my kiln yard to get it ready for the year um and so i had to make a special call and then we finally got h uh, h back out and so i had no ac the first week of professional development and i couldn't take care of half of my preparation for my facilities because there was a literal tree in my teaching space um it eventually got cleared out, and I found out that you know it doesn't matter how much I I scream at the walls, this nothing's going to happen. So I visited all of our other sites at the secondary level in CUSD photographed all of their facilities accommodations, and did a side by side comparison with all of my facilities accommodations, and sent it to my VP and head of facilities, and. We recently got walked by facilities at the DO, and the biggest concern is my health, my students' health, and the health of my night janitor because of the clay dust, and it can't properly be cleaned and maintained. And so one of the solutions they said was um, filtration. I said, well, they had to bypass my filter in order to give me AC, so I don't even have filtration in my HVAC anymore. That's gone. So the solution thus far was to roll two more of those mobile COVID air filters into my room that take up um, floor space that I needed to run my program. So that that was the resolution so far. (laughs)
1: Like uh, That story just kept getting worse and worse. Yeah, that is. I'm trying
0: to stay positive.
1: Yes, um, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, I think you talked about it earlier. The positive is just the amazing things you're doing with kids, right? And yeah, um, it just, uh, you know, just your story, I think, illustrates just, um, you know, how isolated a single teacher can be, right, when they're mm-hmm. trying to fix issues at a system level like this, and. Um, you know, I, I commend you for just, you know, plugging on and, you know, doing the best you can with students. Um, but you should to-
0: be no. And it would be a lot more challenging if I didn't have a background in architecture,
1: right.
0: um, construction. Yeah. And I understand electrical engineering. Like I understand plumbing and facilities. Like I have a background. I know, I actually know how to fix all of these problems, it just shouldn't be on the teacher to have to grade the floor.
1: Uh, I mean, the, <laughs> and, te- and cool, microchannel. Should, right. Teacher shouldn't have to climb on the roof to turn the, the air on. That just they, that's yeah, insanity. yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow. so all right. <laughs> I wanted you
0: to you gotta do what like, you gotta do
1: to survive right now. Yeah, yes, um, <laughs> but you're doing great work uh, with your students. Um, I think it is you know, an extreme case of, you know, the disrepair that I think we see across the district though. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think. uh,
0: And that's, that's one of the things I noticed is they'll build, the district will build these amazing new facilities. I know because I went to Buchanan and my mom taught at Cole. Cole was an old school Buchanan. was a new school. You could immediately see the difference. And, one of my best friends teaches at North and I'm frequently over there and she comes over to mine and we, you know, we, we wow. cooperate we collaborate and just seeing that they'll invest so much time, energy, and effort in, main, in maintenance and upkeep, keep of the new schools, but the old schools are treated like if you can just put a band aid on it and keep mm-hmm. it plugging along, that's fine. Yeah. And they and I know that I'm not the only site. I know that I'm not the only teacher because I've been in some of these other rooms. I've seen some of the other conditions and the schools that need addressing are the schools that were built first and they need to maintain their district before they expand it yet again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's coming. We were just talking about that. You know, yeah,
0: it, it's, it's challenging when you have these academic classes and these, you know, ceramics fulfills an art requirement we're an a through g requirement you got to take us to get to college so we are a college prep course i'm just looking for a basic habitable environment mm-hmm. but we we just spent over two million dollars on a new pool
1: right right
0: so it's it's
1: it, it's speak right the, the the old adage right show me your budget and i'll show you your values um and there's a lot of you know, a lot of cases, right, where we can, you know, the, the you know, the psychs are asking for an increase in, a, I think, around $2 million to serve the needs of, of you know, the mental um, health needs of our students, right? And wow. it, it, it's just hard to, it's hard to reconcile, you know, where the money's going and uh, the needs across the district. There's There's mm-hmm. a lot.
0: Um, there's a lot of needs. Um, you know, there are some things that, you know, money gets spent on, on things that are already functioning really, really well. And the funds that are being spent on some of those things really need to go to the things that are not functioning and not having any representation. Like the visual arts at my site doesn't even get to have its own department chair. We have music as our department chair and we don't get to have any voice at the table. Hmm. Um, and that's just our site. Some sites have amazing opportunities for voices at the table for their areas. And I know that it doesn't matter if it's just in the arts, there's, you know, some science departments that are struggling because they don't have the same level of representation. Yeah. So it, it's all about, representation and support for educators who are genuinely trying everything they can to provide the best learning for our community and our students. And, and we're not being supported.
1: And I, I think uh, that is a, a good way to end this conversation is that there are a lot of a lot of educators across this district um, doing the best they can for kids. Um, mm-hmm. And ACE, is just making the argument that we could do a better job if we had, you know, that real kind of, uh, that real seat at the table where we had the right to yeah. collectively bargain um, yeah. and we had a collective voice that was equal to the voice uh, at the district. Office.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not looking to tear down or argument. We're looking to work collaboratively and cooperatively so we can all thrive.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. So, Barbie, thank you so much. Uh, Mm -hmm. continue doing the great work at at Clovis West. Um, stop climbing that ladder.
0: Uh, Well, I broke my shoulder over the summer, so I can't actually climb the ladder anymore.
1: All right. Well, that's good. (laughs) Not good that you broke your shoulder, but I'm glad you're (laughs) climbing that ladder. All right. Thank you, Barbie.
0: You got it. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah. Thanks again to Barbie Savage for joining us on this episode of the ACE pod. Uh, One thing that stands out to me is you know, it, just the lengths to which Barbie goes to make sure that her kids have a wonderful experience in her class. Imagine what she could be doing if she didn't have to worry about the facilities, if she didn't have to climb a ladder to turn on her air conditioner or heater every day. Um, that's what's, That's the question that kind of bounces around my mind. Okay? So thank you for joining us here on the ACE pod uh, be sure to check us out at www.cloviseducators.org and then on all social media platforms at Clovis Educators. All right, we'll see you next time on the Ace Pod.